Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. With live betting options, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable, Bet Online is truly the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite leagues and events. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code BLEAV to receive your rewards. BetOnline.ag, where the game starts. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to my podcast. I'm your host, Polina Edmonds. And today on the show, I'm so excited to introduce our special guest. She is the 2023 Canadian national champion and 2023 Four Continents bronze medalist. Everyone, Deanna Stellata Dudek. <laughs> Hi, everyone. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you on and have you share your story. It's so unique and it's so inspiring to watch um, you kind of like deliver the tenacity of athleticism um, at this point in your career. It's, it's, yeah, it's amazing. So I'm so excited to hear about it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, For sure. Well, I feel like you can make a comeback too, according to your Instagram videos. So, oh gosh, but it passed. Yeah. You got that tenacity also. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, I mean, uh, obviously the, my, the story that I initially uh, made me come back to skating is, um, from a work retreat, I've told it many times that uh, we just had a little exercise at lunch and everybody had to pick up a note card and read a question. And my question was, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? And I immediately said I would win an Olympic gold medal without thinking. Um, and then everybody else went around the table and gave their answers. And I remember kind of zoning out after I said that because I couldn't believe I said that I hadn't skated in 16 years. So this was like not just a year or two ago that I had, you know, stopped skating. I mean, it was over, it was a lifetime ago, 16 years. So um, I couldn't believe I had said that. And I wondered what that meant. So I really kind of perseverated over that answer for like two weeks to really kind of dive into, you know, what my, my, myself, my uh, subconscious maybe still had inside or a desire I still wanted that I just wasn't acknowledging in my day-to-day busy lifestyle. Um, and uh, I asked my mom to get my 16-year-old boots and blades out of her basement. And uh, we dusted the dust off of them. And I went on my first public session. And I mean, the rest is history. <laughs> That's how the whole thing started. So um, it was a pretty uh, incredible story. I'm getting up early, like at five in the morning to go skate before I went to work because I had a full-time job. Um, I tried to do that about four days a week. And then I would always go on Saturday because I didn't work on Saturday. So it was a little bit easier to, to skate a longer session that day. So I slowly got all my triples back in three months, which I thought was crazy being off that long, but it's muscle memory is an amazing thing. Um, if your body can, can do the muscle memory, like I was in somewhat in shape because I've kept up my fitness outside of, you know, when I was retired, but had I have not been in shape, I mean, it would have been impossible to do, you know, to use this muscle memory that I had. So, um, you know, I feel like your opportunities in life have to be met with preparedness. And this was an opportunity I didn't know that I wanted, nor that I knew I was going to get, but I was prepared for it. So um, that's how I feel like all the jumps kind of came back in a timely fashion. 
um, more like an wow. injury than uh, than a you know decade off the more than a decade off the ice. <laughs> oh, that is so crazy! I'm so excited for this conversation. Um, I yeah, I just have so many thoughts, especially just. I have not been off the ice like nearly that long, but just the even taking a few years off and then trying to jump again, it's like, you know, the the mental space that you're in is really the the biggest part I've found. Hmm. Well, physically, of course, but like yeah. the mental the mental is what really holds you back. And so yeah, like your story is just so inspiring Did you for have that reason. To, um, convince yourself like to pull in on like your first like oh, double yeah. trip or something just to just to go for it was its own mental hurdle. Not even landing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's uh, like even even um, going into it, to me, it's like because I was doing it at such a young age and then I grew and I got taller and I also became a woman and all of this stuff. It's like in my head, the peak of my jumping ability is behind me or that was kind of the thought process. And I would have people like near me or like, you know, just skating on the ice the past few years with. Brian Boitano and Jeremy Abbott, yeah. they'd be like, yeah, go do this. And Brian would be like, go do one. Oh, go do this combo. And to me, it was like, oh my God, Brian, how could you even ask me to do that? You know, it's <laughs> it's been so long. Like I could never. And then I kind of got this like fire under me of like, wait, I want to go try this combo. And then I'm doing it again. And I'm like, yeah. oh, it was really just me in my head being like, mm-hmm. you know, your time is gone. And now I'm like, wait, I can actually still do everything. And it feels just as good as it did before, which is crazy. And I never thought yeah. it'd be like that. If not yeah. better, if not yeah. better, you know, because True. you're older and harder, maybe you understand the technique to apply it even better. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I find a lot of times the limitations that we set on ourselves are, are just that they're not actual limitations. They're self-imposed limitations, you know, and self-limiting beliefs. Um, and so when I was coming back to you, it was a, a constant uh, mental hurdle. There's a famous quote from Eleanor Roosevelt that says, do something every day that scares you. And I was like, oh, girl, I got this in the bag. I'm doing something every day that scares me. Like, I'm always afraid to pull in on like the next triple I was trying or, um, you know, doing like a two triples back to back. Because at first when I came back, I had the intention of doing singles because I'd never even, you know, jokingly done pairs, you know, some girls have been put up in a lift, like for fun or something. I had never done anything. So, um, with, with singles, it was even like, Oh, now training a program again, right. Cause landing everything is one thing, but then doing it when you're tired is another thing. So there's a lot of, um, a lot of steps, a lot of hurdles to get to that elite level. I'm sure. Well, let's go from the start. So let, tell us, how did you first get into skating? What age did you start skating at? Um, I know you've been international at this point for over 20 years, which is crazy, but yeah, tell us, tell us the start because it is so unique that you skated under the 6.0 system initially. And when you came back, you came back under the IJS, like, (laughs) I know, I know. And it is crazy. It's very different. It's, there's a lot of differences. Um, but I didn't start, I started skating when I was, um, five years old. And, um, I only skated because my brother is six years older than I am. So we have a pretty significant age difference and he was a hockey player. And so my mom put him in hockey and put me in skating simply because it was the closest thing to our home. It was like a two minute drive from our house was the uh, Glenview ice arena. Um, and, uh, I only started skating because my brother played hockey and he was already at the rink. And my mom thought two birds with one stone were already here. Might as well put her in skating. Um, and that's, you know, kind of how it all started. But I 
probably like most young girls, I did um, figure skating. I did gymnastics, which I also competed in um, competitively. And then I did ballet. So those are like the three things I did as like a you know young girl sort of growing up. And then ballet was the first one to go. And then uh, when I was doing gymnastics and skating at the same time, both of them required so many hours of practice. It just simply wasn't impossible to do them simultaneously along with school. So my mom told me I had to choose and, uh, and I chose skating. So skating has that creative aspect that gymnastics doesn't, um, you know, like that where you can really express mm -hmm. yourself and you get to choose your music. And I think I didn't know it then, but I think that's what I was more drawn to with skating versus gymnastics. But gymnastics has helped me immensely in pairs. Immensely. Sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. <laughs> I too had to pick between skating and gymnastics and oh, you did. skating. <laughs> Woo skating two for two. <laughs> oh, yeah. Good thing. I would have been way too tall to be a gymnast. <laughs> that's not true. There's those tall gymnasts that have amazing uneven bars uh, routines because their legs look so they look so much better than the shorter girls. But uh, yeah, for sure. Some other things might have been harder. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a crazy life. I always I, um, I, I would do the conditioning exercises for gymnastics and just think like how crazy difficult the the and intense the training for competitive gymnastics is not that skating isn't but it's very different and so it almost feels more laid back but it's just different muscle groups really yeah. <laughs> it is but I do feel like you know when I would go to the gym on like a Friday after school and do gymnastics you had to do vault you couldn't like not catapult yourself properly into the air and just like not get around your turns like because you're going to slam really hard. Whereas in skating, I guess, I guess there's not really popping in gymnastics. I don't recall there being pops where in skating you could kind of pop and save yourself. Um, maybe that was the difference. But in gymnastics, I felt like there was no leeway for fatigue um, in that sport versus skating. But that's true. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is very interesting. Well, you yeah. started in singles. Um, yes. Did you do pairs at all before your like first retirement or was it all singles? No, I never, ever did pairs. I was staying there. I was asked to do pairs because I was very small. Like I I've always been five feet tall. So I reached my max at 11 years old and never grew anymore. So I was, I was asked to do pairs. Um, it's all downhill from here, apparently. Um, it's, uh, so uh, I was asked to do pairs, but I, uh, I said no because I was doing so well in my singles um, career. And I don't think pairs back then, you know, in the 90s was what it is now. Um, I think it was more like, you know, they were doing like double loops side by side, you know, whereas it's a little bit different now. There's actually some more competitive combinations and things like that and a lot more triples. So it just wasn't something that I even endeavored to do. So I never even like jokingly did a press lift or a dust spiral. I mean, I knew how to do absolutely nothing when I, when I started, um, except for jumps and side by side spins. Those are the two things I could already do. <laughs> hey, the single yes. elements. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. So you so you competed at Junior Worlds in 2000 as a single skater, and then you were also competing in the Grand Prix later that same year, first yeah. year senior international. Yeah. Um, yeah. What? Tell us what that was like in terms of the 6.0. Oh, okay. So actually, it was really cool. So my first Grand Prix as a single skater was Skate Canada, 
which I think is very like ironic sort of thing. You have, things always come kind of full circle. Um, and I competed there with the people who ended up being first, second, and third at Worlds that year, which was Michelle Kwan, Irina Slutskaya, and Fumi Suguri. Do you remember wow. any of these skaters? They were first, second, and third at Skate Canada, and that ended up being the world podium. So it was a <sighs> tough event, needless to say. <laughs> um, That's crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. But it so it was kind of cool to see as a young girl, um, them backstage and like what they're like interacting with each other, how each of them warms up, you know, because they were all very different styles, you know, American, Japanese and Russian. So it was really cool to see all of that backstage. And then um, after that, I was scheduled to go to Croatia to Golden Spin. And I, uh, that's after Skate Canada. Well, at Skate Canada, I had the injury and then just kind of continued to get worse. And so we pulled out of, um, out of Golden Spin. And when I came back to skating 16, 17 years later, you know, whatever it exactly is, it's too long to do the exact math anyway. Um, the first international I got was Golden Spin. It was like I picked up where I left off. It was so ironic mm. that that's kind of the order. I know it was crazy. But um, the IJS system, I feel like in comparison to the 6.0 system is just overall far more technical in every way, shape and form. So when we did spins before the 6.0 system, it was essentially like an empty box that you just put a check mark in like you did a spin. There was no, you know, you could do a plane flying camel and I could do a layover flying camel and they'd get scored the same, you know, even though I was doing a variation and you were not. So there was no technical anything to kind of give somebody maybe an edge or give them a you know a higher GOE or a level or something like that so I think that for the spins it was a really good change um the biggest difference to me though is the footwork sequences I don't know if you remember the footwork sequences of the I would say late 90s even early 2000s um before everything changed but everybody would go down to like one end of the ice by the by like where the hockey box typically is they would like engage the crowd for a minute and then they would do all these crazy steps straight all the way down the long end of the ice and they were super entertaining they always got the audience going people were always really invested but there was maybe one difficult turn in the entire <laughs> footwork sequence, like maybe a bracket somewhere, you know what I mean? But that was basically it. It was all just like fun, kind of almost like a choreo sequence, but in a footwork like uh, type, uh, type of way. And so that is a big difference now because the footwork sequences take about 45 seconds and you have to do all these certain turns and in pairs, you have to do these turns and hold and you have to be together and hold for more than half of the ice. And, you know, these are levels that you need and that are requirements that you have to do. And so it allows for less of a creative um, side versus the 6.0 system that was like zero. I mean, again, one difficult turn, so like zero technicality, but all entertainment. Um, and so that, that's probably the biggest difference that I see. Um, but in, in terms of um, overall generality, the IJS has improved the sport greatly over the 6.0 system. I mean, I feel like in the past, you know, 20 years, the sports come a long way with jump difficulties, composition difficulties, you know, uh, transitions, things like that, that you've never seen before. So it's done a lot for the sport. But that one thing I miss from the 90s is those footwork sequences. I just love them so much. They were so entertaining. And you knew it was coming and you get excited before they would do it. Oh, I just I love those. <laughs> I feel like there was a real sense of freedom with that, especially yes. because there weren't all of these specific technical markers that you had to hit mm -hmm. for a level. It was just like, 
show us something entertaining, like you said, or beautiful (laughs) or funny or, you know, like anything, any style was welcomed. If, if you could play off like whatever cool little it it, footwork, that's what it is. It's footwork. It's not a step sequence. It's like, yeah, it is footwork. Exactly. exactly. And if it was, if if you were so totally right, like if it was a funny kind of you know, maybe Charlie Chaplin like program, you could Mm -hmm. do something that would be applicable to that. And it would get all these points, even though there would have might've been, you know, one double three in the entire, in the entire sequence, you know, Yeah, but it was so entertaining. So it is, it is is really different now. It, I remember um, being at a champs camp when I was like, I don't know, maybe 16. And I, I don't know, I had like three crossovers in a row or something. And the judges were like, you know, you need to make something more difficult, like not just three in a row. And I was like, when I watch videos of Michelle Kwan, she does like six crossovers in a row and a glide into her jump. And they were like, that was a different time. (laughs) And I'm like, why? I want it. I want that time. (laughs) Well, even... I feel like even um, at the 2010 Olympics, most of the ladies did a, did a decent amount of crossovers with their jumps, but they had so much speed and so much power. And so it's like, for me, it was okay. Like, I, I don't mind seeing crossovers if they're going to give all this speed into this jump and they're going to do this amazing combination. For me, it's mm-hmm. okay. I, I feel like it was more so before the 2018 Olympics where you saw more, you know, even just an outside mohawk or something to break up three crossovers in a row or something to that extent. But yeah. Yeah, but yeah, it's like ever evolving. It's crazy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You follow the trends and they do change. It's it's true. Just <laughs> keep it as classic as you can, but you know, yeah. <laughs> also got to play the game. Exactly. So you had you had like a hip injury, your hip flexors. Yes. Um mm-hmm. and that was why you decided to step away after that like 2000 2001 season. Yes. Yes. It was in the middle of that season. So I was doing mm-hmm. um triple sow triple loop And I was trying to do a bunch of other triple loop combos. And then we even that summer kind of played around with triple axle. And uh, I think that my maybe younger body, you know, that was less, you know, still in the growing phase and things like that, that it was um, less able to take the, the bangs of the under rotations. So for me, when I'm under rotated, I fall. I, I don't know how people under rotate and land. I've never been able to do that. I, I like will slam if I'm under rotated. So when I was younger and you were learning loop combos, inevitably when you're learning, the loop combo is going to be under, you know, the first jump will be fine. The second jump will be a little under. And I constantly would be under and fall, under and fall. And so that torque is going to go somewhere. And it didn't go into my ankle because we have the boots to protect us. It didn't mm-hmm. go to my knee for whatever reason. It, it, it went to my hip. And it was funny because during that time, there was like an, like an epidemic, if you will, of like six girls who all got the same kind of hip flexor issue. Um, so it might have been a thing of that time. And I will say that when I put my skates back on after being off the ice for the 16, 17 years, my boots and blades, ooh, Polina, they must have been three to four pounds each, I would say, like heavy, real heavy. Oh God. compared to now where they just get lighter and lighter until they're like carbon fiber. And it's like, you have, you know, less than a pair of gym shoes on your foot. So I feel like maybe even just the weight of those skates were inhibiting mm. girls and it was maybe injuring their, you know, their hips and harder to get around because you're lifting, you know, maybe five, six extra pounds off the ice, um, you know, with the blades. So it's interesting even how the equipment has um, evolved. When I first started, I was in Jackson boots and I asked them, give me your heaviest pair. 
because that's what I was used to. And I needed the weight to like take me through on an axle saw and toe. It took me a long time to get used to a lighter boot. I kind of slowly eased myself into it because I'd use that weight of the boot to take me through on those drums. So, um, so yeah, so it's, it's even, even the equipment has changed so dramatically, which I think has allowed for an improvement in the sport, you know, as well. Um, me having that very dramatic experience of like, you know, my old, my old boots and blades and then needing to get new ones. And I was like, oh, wow, these are drastically different in weight. That's such a good point. I never really thought about that, but um, like same growing up in Harlex, I always had to ask for the softest boots because I was just so light. I couldn't break in any heavy stiff ones, but uh, they're still, they're heavy. And I always liked it for the reason of, I feel like when you, even when you just skate, the edges pull through and rip Mm -hmm. through the ice with that weight so much better, like steadiness wise. Yeah, Um, I totally, but yeah, skating in um, a day is now for like the I, I liked them after my injury because they felt like a cast on my foot. But the lightness mm. was astounding. And like on my jumps, it is it is crazy the way that they feel because there isn't that extra. Yeah. Like you said, three to four pounds that you're yeah lifting off on every single time. I know. Did you did you feel like you had to do an adjustment at all when you when you switched boots? Yeah. I still feel like there's certain things like the edge jumps. Um, I I feel like there's weirdness for me, specifically on sow cows. Like the takeoff mm. feels really different than when I used to skate in Harlex, which always felt so solid. But now I like have never been able to feel that same solidity, which is interesting. But yeah, actually, it's funny to say that that because um during COVID was like this perfect storm of a time, you know where um. Unfortunately, I wasn't released yet from the States and uh, I couldn't leave Canada because I wouldn't have been allowed back in. I didn't have any type of, um, you know, green card or permanent residency card or anything like that. And um, only international level skaters were allowed to skate. So we weren't allowed to skate simply because I wasn't (sighs) released because so people that we were beating were allowed to skate, but we weren't. Darn. So it was a really, oh, that's really rough when you know your competitors are getting a one up on you and you have no control over it. It was a really rough time. And during that time, um, we were probably in a year, like a 12 month time frame from when the world st- shut down originally in 2020 in March. We were probably off the ice six months out of that year from March 2020 to March 2021. Um, and during that time, during those six months when I was on the ice, I switched to Adea boots. And I, it was a massive adjustment for me, one that I feel like I am just now getting a hold of. So, yeah. and, and on the sow cow specifically, because you don't have that extra weight down or the extra weight through. It was like yeah. a double, a double negative or a double difference. Um, and so I felt like I had to work more to control it myself, where usually the boot did it for me. Um, so it's funny that you say that because I had the exact same experience as you. So interesting. I'm I'm so curious about like all the different equipment because it is such a different landscape now. Like the, uh, the opportunity to have so many choices in boots that aren't just your typical hard leather, um, is, is crazy. And it, it would be interesting to kind of like have somebody research, um, or do a study on like specifically learning, yeah elements versus like with different boots versus like once you are already at the top level and you're switching over it's like completely different but yeah anyways anyways it's (laughs) it's wild 
it is okay wild. so so you had your hip flexor injury um you retired how old were you at that time when you so I was 16 or 17 I don't okay. I don't entirely remember. that's why that's why I say 16 or 17 years off because I don't remember exactly <laughs> but I was 16 or 17 years old something like that <laughs> okay and then you started um you started studying and and got a career in um you're an esthetician. I, I can't yeah. pronounce it right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, well, what I did was medical aesthetics, which was like additional, um, mm-hmm. schooling, but, um, it was also kind of, uh, I got into it at a really lucky time where the industry was just sort of starting to take off and the amount of non-surgical things like lasers. And, you know, now they have like all therapy and they have cool sculpting and they have these things that you can put electrodes on your body and build muscle just laying there. Um, all these things were really building up the, uh, decade that I performed all these procedures. So I got in at a great time and I worked for a plastic surgeon. Um, and he and his wife ran the practice and his wife, um, had her doctorate in law. So, um, she actually went, Oh, sorry for post-doctorate. Cause a JD is a doctorate. It's a Juris doctor. But then she went back and got her post-doctorate in law, which I didn't even know was like a thing. Um, so they were very, very intelligent people. And they were kind of like, uh, you know, adopted parents to me in the business world, if you will. And so um, I ran the entire medical aesthetics practice for them, as well as um, doing some procedures um, myself to people. Um, But I had multiple girls working underneath me that I managed. And it was all about, you know, what can you bring into the practice, you know, and, um, uh, you know, monthly goals, quarterly goals, etc. And it's funny, because it served me very well when I switched to skating, because skating is really not all that different than business. It's just that, you know, we're not necessarily out to make money, you know, our currency is metals. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's how more, more so how it works. And it's, how do you plan and how can you get more medals, you know, not get more money, get more medals. So um, it's funny because that type of business planning and business practicing has actually served me very well, um, you know, in this, in this career too. <laughs> it really transfers into multiple different careers. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's such a cool analogy. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So you, you were at a retreat and you kind of had this like idea where you said it out loud and that kind of sparked this like interest in you. Um, What was the process in terms of making that concrete and making it real and not just like a, um, I said this out loud, like that's kind of funny. Cause I I feel like obviously there's a lot of things that hold us back from actually going after something that sounds like a crazy dream, but you've done it and you're doing it and you got past whatever like mental blocks you would have had. So, so, share that with us. What made you actually want to pursue it and feel like you could pursue it? Yeah, sure. So I think when I, when I said that, like I said, I really thought that it, it had a bigger meaning than, um, than me just kind of saying it at some work retreat. I thought that there was something maybe deep inside that I still really wanted that. And I told, you know, everybody in my life at that time that I'm going to go about this in a very pragmatic way. So if I go back to skating, it's like, can I get up every morning at five o'clock in the morning, get my body moving and get on the ice at six and be able to do stuff? And, you know, can I get my jumps back? Can I withstand being in pain? Cause this is going to hurt. And it did, you know, in a lot of different ways, hurts cause I'm sore, hurts cause you take bad falls, get the wind knocked out of you. I mean, there's just no way around that part of sports, that part of athletics, you're going to get beat up. And, you know, can I survive that? And can I keep on coming back? Right. Cause I feel like 
there could have been so many different things that would have stopped me from doing it. You know, like maybe, you know, my boss wanted me to come in earlier at work and so I couldn't skate. And so, uh, you know, or I could have gotten hurt really bad and been like, oh, forget it. I'm too old for this. You know, there are going to have been so many things where I would have stopped. So I, when I started, I said, if I can keep with this and I get to a certain point where all of my jumps are back, then I was going to reward myself by getting programs. And my longtime choreographer, who I know you know, Philip Mills, he choreographed my program since I was like 12 or 13 years old. And so oh, I know love him. I love I, him. <laughs> I know he does this thing all the time. I know. <laughs> so that was like, if I can make it here, then my reward is going to be that I get to work with him and I get to get a program and I get to choose my music and I get to choose all these, you know, cool things. And that was what I worked towards. So I said, if I don't, if I can't get these triple bone jumps back, I can't keep skating. I can't deal with the pain. Then, then it's over. Right. Then it was just an idea. It was something I said, and I, it, it sounds good and great, but I just can't do it. But when I started going and everything started coming back and I was able to um, get to the point where I was able to work with him and get programs. That was when um, I flew down and saw my longtime coach um, whose name is Cindy um, Caprell. And I, I told her, listen, I know you're going to level with me. She's was quasi retired. She was kind of working like three days a week um, at a pair school, which is how I fell into pairs. But um, I was like, just tell me if you think that I'm absolutely insane or if this is maybe possible. And so I skated with her for a full week. And I remember um, somebody coming up to me and saying, you know, what do you, what are you doing here? And I was like, Oh, I um, just came to like see my coach Cindy and they were like, like for a vacation. And I was like, well, oh, yeah, this is a vacation. Like I had the flight on the Florida from Chicago. So I was, you know, off of work taking vacation days. And they were like, so your idea of vacation is like skating five hours a day and like beating yourself up. And I thought to myself, I kind of laughed and I was like, oh, that's what they were getting at that. Like this was not a leisure vacation, you know? Um, and I thought, oh yeah, well, you know, I was like, I was here for an ulterior motive. I wanted her opinion and her, you know, her stamp of approval really was what I was looking for. And um, she said to me that I, I looked like I was coming back from an injury from being off the ice six months, not 16 years. So when I got that approval from her, I thought, okay. And she goes, I know you, I know the way you work, you know, like if, if you want this and you commit your mind to it, that I think you can do it. And, you know, with her believing in me and also my mom, you know, thinking the same thing, my mom thought I was crazy at first. So that needs to be said. She wasn't like behind me from the get, um, but she thought I was insane in the beginning, but then was like, you know, when she came and saw me doing triple jumps, she goes, I can't believe you're doing this. And then it was like, if you want this, you know, I'll support you, all this kind of stuff. So um, once I got those approvals, that's when I jumped straight in and I gave my two week notice and and quit my job and, and started doing it full time. So I feel like I did it in a very pragmatic way. Like I had to reach certain uh, jump over certain hurdles without knocking them over in order to get to the next one, in order to get to the next one, in order to get to the okay, I can actually do this and quit my job and really try um, to make this, you know, a career and make this dream a reality. Um, and luckily I was a saver when I worked and I made a very good living and I was able to do that too, because that makes a difference as well. Um, so all those things kind of worked, you know, together. And um, that's how everything ended up occurring initially. And then my second visit to see Cindy is when Mitch Moyer happened to be there. Um, and that was more fate because it was a very serendipitous type of visit because I was in Florida for 
a total of about three years. And Mitch had been down there a total of twice in three years. And this was one of the times, and it was on a visit when I was there to see Cindy. And he was the one that mentioned pairs to me. He said, we have a guy right here looking for a partner and he's been to the Olympics and I think he'd be great at pairs. And I thought, you know what, the second time around, you know, on my second try, the guy was asked to do pairs as a kid. And I said, no, I'm like, I'm not saying no to anything. So you want me to try this? I'll try it. And I loved it instantly, probably because I did gymnastics and there's like an element of that in it. So it was like the combination of my two, you know, childhood passions and childhood dreams. Um, and I mean, that was it. Once we, I had my tryout with Nate, I was like, oh, this is happening. And so I went to, back to Chicago, got all my stuff, <laughs> came, moved to Florida, moved in with Cindy for six months. She was, she uh, held me as her guest for six months, which was super kind. Um, so yeah, it was all, um, all very serendipitous in terms of how the pair thing occurred. That's really cool. I think just talking about how you said that you, you worked in business, you learned a lot and you feel like you've transferred some of those skills into strategy for your skating career. It it sounds exactly that even from the get go, where it wasn't like, I'm all in, like we're going for the Olympics and <laughs> and you haven't even started yet. Yeah. Versus like you said, you're kind of like working your way up, like not giving yourself some set, you know, thing yet without all the rung ladders underneath. Like you were taking mm-hmm. it literally ladder, like rung by ladder rung. And yeah. as soon as like you got one, you were like, okay, this opens the opportunity for just a little bit more. Let's see how far mm-hmm. until you were literally placed with a partner yeah <laughs> who happens to already be an olympian like that that is right crazy fate that is really cool exactly yeah i don't know if yeah. had mitch not have been there i'm not even sure that whole thing would have occurred i don't know because i always think um with with nate and with maxim i always think if i were them and with nate i was 33 at the time and someone introduced me to a 33 year old girl um, when most pair girls are 18 or something like that, right? Or with Maxim, I was 36, right? With a 36-year-old girl. It's like, for me, I feel almost like a responsibility to both of them. I did in my partnership with Nate and I do in my partnership with Max to deliver and to um, be more than what they hoped I could be because they could have always gone with an 18-year-old girl who would have had maybe, you know, well, you never know. I mean, they could have injuries or endless energy or, you know, good or bad, whatever. But it's like they had options and they chose the different path, which was to partner with me. And, um, you know, I feel the need to, to deliver on uh, to them, you know, because um, I feel like they both kind of took a chance on me, really. You know, um, I took a chance on myself, but that's different. They took a chance on me with their with their career. And, um, you know, that really means something to me. And so I feel the need to, on a daily basis, you know, come in every day, my weight's got to be in check. My, my attitude's got to be in check. My energy level's got to be in check. Like everything, my body, like I do all this recovery. So I'm ready the next day. Like I got to come in every day, like fresh, like a daisy, ready to go, you know, and that's, and that's my job. Uh, and I take that seriously because I feel like they really both took chances on me to, um, to kind of go down this uh this path of a dream with me <laughs> you're really the road less traveled by yeah right <laughs> exactly but as the robert frost poem goes it's the more worth it road in the end anyway so there you yeah. go <laughs> 
But yeah, it sounds like you're the type of person that that type of pressure that you put on yourself as well as like maybe you, you again, you want to deliver, it motivates and drives you. It's not something that like overwhelms you or like you have this like negative like am I ever going to be good enough you're like no I I am I'm worth it let me show you and that's that's yeah. really cool because the the situation works perfectly um for your partnerships and for your your career at this point which is yeah it's wild so so you well, started I remember- with Nate Oh, oh sorry I remember at four continents when I saw you there in your cute little jeans with the studs on them I still remember <laughs> And, and you, you said to me, I'll never forget this. You said to me, everybody looks like they're dying after their program, but you stopped your ending pose and immediately started having a conversation with Max. How are you not out of breath? I never, I'll never forget that. And I did, I did. I immediately, I always, I mean, I talked to him a lot in general and sometimes even in the program itself. Um, but I started talking to him right after and I was like, Polina was the only one that, that saw me like go right into conversation the second we were done. I just thought that was funny. <laughs> No, it was it was so impressive, but it was also such a testament to like who you are as a as a person and as a skater was just like you are again all business. You're just like you ended. You're like okay, like here we go. Like let me carry you through like off the ice. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna carry yeah. us through. Yeah, it's it's perfect. You're the CEO, really. Yeah, I love it. So you skated with Nate for multiple years. Um, what like because of your age, obviously injury and you already retired from injury is really scary. Um, yeah. Especially in anybody's comeback, whether they've been injured before, they get older, they're like, you know, weight changes. It's it's all scary. And like you said, the the under rotations thing where like if you land mm-hmm. short, it, it affects your hip. I totally feel that. And, and that's yeah. like also, that's been a fear factor for me when I skate of just like, you know, if I am doing too many reps that are under, I'm yep. like actually going to pull my groin. And at this age, even though I'm not like, you know, I, I'm still young, yeah. but like I, my groin like is not okay if I pull it yeah. versus when I was like 16 or 15, I could pull it and like, you know, be fine in two days. So yeah. what what was like your, was there like a cap for you of like, if something happens to me, like I'm going to just be like, it's not worth it. Or like what, what types of things mentally and physically, I guess, have you done? Um, but especially at the start of it yeah. to make sure that you you're physically able to, and not just going to like wreck yourself. Yeah. I think, um, again, I was super active when I wasn't skating. So I, I was at the gym five days a week. I did Pilates with some of my um, clients. Um, I did a lot of, uh, uh, yoga and things like that. So I was very active and my body was agile before I started skating again. And before I started skating pairs. And I think that that really kind of helped me because starting pairs, I had no idea what to expect. Um, and I think, the first thing was um, I thought death spirals were really easy for the girl, like watching it as a viewer. I was like, oh, she just holds on and he like, you know, twirls her around. And I was like, when I first was learning them, <laughs> I was like, oh, so it's like a layback, except I have to torque my body like a towel, like a dry rag and like hold it there and not breathe. I was like, oh, this isn't easy at all. Like it's actually really hard to do and do well because you have to continue to give the guy tension so that he can continue to turn three times. Um, so those, the, but those things are fine. Where that's like abdomen, you know, arm strength. And I always joke, I have man arms. So like I can, I'm really strong in my arms. I'm like, I don't have these man arms for nothing. I could pull real hard in the dust spiral. Um, but, <laughs> um, 
But the throws were a new thing to learn. Even when you land, the impact on your right glute, on your hamstring, on your quad is so much greater than jumps that when you're learning the throws and you're doing a bunch over and over again, I would wake up the next day and it would just be my right leg. So only my landing leg. And it would be so sore <laughs> that I'd be like, oh my goodness, how am I going to do more today? So it was a way of sort of navigating through the forest in that way. So I learned different modalities. Like I do, I do, I do, do a lot of recovery. So I do some cupping to myself. I do the one that, um, the one that you move around your body that releases the fascia and it helps to kind of create blood flow and get, um, get oxygen to your muscles and help them to heal a little bit faster. And I immediately will stretch after a hard session and I will immediately do maybe like a massage gun or I'll roll out, to try to get the lactic acid out um, as I know that it's building up. So I did a lot of research. I mean, these are the positive things about being an adult, right? It's like, yes, it's going to take more work, but you're smarter. So you can look up what that work can be to kind of minimize what you know is going to come. And that's what I was able to sort of do. So as I learned that, you know, my right leg's going to be sore from a, a high throw count day, then that night I already knew what to do to try to minimize it. And the, let's say, um, not necessarily pain-free the next day because that never happens, but like be a low enough amount of pain where I could still do more and it's not going to affect me. You know, I'm not going to be able to not walk the following day, you know? So I did a, a lot of research on, on lactic acid, you know, like I drink half my body weight in ounces and water a day to flush things out. I have a certain amount of protein every day for to have protein synthesis in my muscles. So there's a lot of, that's actually the hard part about being an athlete. In my opinion, is not necessarily the on ice stuff. Cause I love that. It's the off ice, you know, um, mm -hmm. diet. Yeah. Water intake. I mean, the recovery stuff, the stretching, the rolling out, that's the stuff that I really don't love so much. Um, you know, I'd love to just be able to like come home and pop something in the microwave and call it a day, but no, I got to count the grams of protein and count the, you know, that's, that's so annoying. Um, but I mean, it helps tremendously. And I don't think if I didn't have nutrition and diet and my program there, I wouldn't be able to I wouldn't be able to do this. And on days like what you asked, if I have a groin, you know, something's hurting me or I think, okay, this could be bad. Like if I re-injure this today, it's going to, it's going to stay for a long time. Um, my partner and I, we draw the line, we don't do it. And, you know, I always say, listen, there's other things to work on pairs. There are so many elements in pairs. If I can't do one element one day, there's, there, there's not like, oh, what are we going to work on? There's still tons of stuff to work on and tons of things to spend time on that is still um, worth it and beneficial. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to make or break, you know, the next competition or, or anything like that. My illness was a bit different this year. That was that was inhibiting, but that was really long lasting. But for injuries and things like that, I kind of try to take it um, case by case and try to make sure that I do my homework of taking care of my body before um, before I go in each day. I think that's kind of what draws such a, uh, exhaustion level for so many athletes is again, it's not the actual skating part. Cause again, there, there are so many things to work on, on the ice, whether you're able to jump or able to spin or, you know, whatever, but the, the structure of your schedule with all of the other little things that go into maintaining, like 
peak shape for the ice. And mm-hmm. and that means like just like injury prevention as well as like nutrition and be in your best shape, but also sleep and also whatever activity you want to do when you have free time, whether or not that's going to like inhibit training the next week or whatever. It's like, 100%. it's all down to a T. And so that yeah. commitment to training is, it it, it is just insane honestly especially when you've left the sport and you've lived a different lifestyle Mm -hmm. so like how how did that how did you go back into it with the full like faith of just like yeah I'm getting (laughs) basically locked back into this like sport prison of a schedule but at the same time like you don't view it as a sport prison you're just like I want this I'm into it how did you do that from living for 16 years without needing to do it yeah Well, well you know I mean it was somewhat easy for me because I wanted to succeed so bad and I wanted the stream so bad. And then I got kind of um, almost obsessed with like health and nutrition and recovery and things like that. Um, to the point where I, when I tell people what I do, like professionals, like working professionals, they're like, you don't need to do all those things. Cause I just kept on adding and I never subtracted. So it was just like my, my recovery just got one hour, two hours, three hours. And they were like, you know, you don't need to do rolling and massage gun and cupping all same night. Like it's not necessary. And I was like, Oh, okay. I just, I didn't know which one was helping, but so I just kept them all, you know, I just kept on doing everything. But, um, that, I mean, that partially came easy to me because I wanted the dream so bad. Um, now that I know about all of that stuff, the hard work's been done because I've done the research. It's more just, you know, maintaining it. And for me, I would say that the diet is the hardest part. And it's not a diet. I mean, like, the amount of carbs to protein ratio is what I'm talking about. Um, because of course, any normal person who wants to stay a certain size, you know, doesn't eat cupcakes every day or something like that. So it's not a diet. It's just more like I have to get a certain amount of protein and I have to get a certain amount of carbs and it has to be at certain times. And that part is, that is really hard. Um, but you're right about the, you know, you can't go do certain things because you don't know how it's going to affect you for training the next day or something like that. And those are, I think at my age, really hard to not be able to like kind of live life, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, this is just going to be a window of time in my life. And I'm going to have lots more years where I will be able to do those things like ski and, you know, things of that stuff that you're not, I'm not going to do now. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I, it wasn't too, too hard for me. It was more just like, it was, it was part of the dream and part of what I had to do. And so I was almost more excited to do it. But one thing that I will say that's really funny is um, when I was not skating and I was retired, my metric for difficulty was a free program. So anything I had to do in life, I would say, well, (laughs) it's not like I'm doing a long. And so that have to do a long again, when that's been my metric of difficulty for my entire life, like the barometer of which I judge what is and is not hard. um, That was a, like a moment of, well, what were you thinking? <laughs> now you have to do the thing you thought was hardest your whole life, again, on a regular basis. You know what I mean? Like, and in front of people. So that was that was an interesting awakening. But uh, <laughs> That's but, so yeah. funny. That's so true. <laughs> I remember um, like praying to God on a flight once where it was turbulent and I was just young and scared. And I was like, I would rather do 10 long programs in a row than be in this flight right now. Like I, I would yeah. rather, I would rather do it. And then I land and then I'm back on the ice and I'm like, I can't believe I said that in the air I would never do 10 long programs I can barely do one yeah absolutely not but yeah yeah that is your metric too you know (laughs) insane 
So you and Nate skated um, for multiple years and then your partnership ended and you both yeah. started skating with other partners. What was the reason for the partnership ending and how did you get connected with Max? Yeah. So um, Nate had an injury that was lingering our entire last season together and um, he got some PRP treatments on it, lots of things to try to help it, you know, non-surgically. And by the end of the year, they were like, it's just not helping. You need the surgery. And um, Nate and I are still friends. We still speak. We're on super good terms, which I, which I like, you know, I mean, it's nice to be on good partners with your, ter- with uh, good terms with your partner and be able to look back and be like, Oh, if I ever see you in an event, you know, oh, remember when we were crazy kids and we did this, you know? Um, but um, anyway, he was going to have to have surgery and it was going to be a long recovery and he wasn't sure if he wanted to continue. And so I said, you know what? That's very fair. Like he's been at the Olympics. He's accomplished a lot. He has the right to think about it, see if he wants to come back or not. Um, Cause it'll be hard to come back from an injury like that. And I said, but at the same time, I said, I can't wait. And then have your answer be no, because then I've waited, you know, six months to a year and then you're not coming back. And now I'm not relevant anymore, you know, because a year has passed. I haven't competed. Everyone's going to forget about you, you know, skating. The world moves fast. People forget quick. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I always said is that people forget that I had only been skating pairs for two and a half years. That is not a long time. I still needed to practice pair skating period. So I didn't want to take a year off and then be like, okay, now you have to look for a partner and then it would be another several months. So we amicably um, split and he even helped me. He was so sweet before um, his surgery. He even did lifts with me still. Like he still would do off ice lifts with me. So he would practice with me. It was so nice. So, um, so that was a very amicable split. And then I started looking for partners and I got um, a lot of offers from a lot of different people, even some surprising people that were really well-known single skaters that thought maybe they've always wanted to try pairs or whatever. And um, offers from skaters from other countries and um, Bruno Marcotte is the one who introduced me to, to Maxim. It was Bruno and Megan. And they said, why don't you come here for a tryout with him? And I said, okay. And I had another tryout scheduled while I was in Canada too. So I flew out to Canada. I had the two tryouts. And uh, Maxim was my first tryout. We tried out for like, I'd say a week. And the other tryout kind of ended up not happening. And I thought, this is it. I thought really my first day with him, my first hour on the ice, Um, I knew that he was going to be the partner for me. And this is like, I wanted to partner with him if he wanted to partner with me because he had come pick me up that morning and we spoke about our goals because immediately, you know, there's not, it's not just like your matching and your body lines and your torsos and your legs and your abilities. It's also, do you mentally want the same thing? Uh, Mm -hmm. what are your goals? Are you hungry? How hungry are you? You know, because I don't want to get into a point where I'm going to move my life to another country. I'm going to pay a lot of bills, attorney bills to get citizenship. And you're going to not show up to practice one day because you don't feel like it. Like that's not going to happen. Things need to be aligned more than just the physical and the ability wise. And he seemed just as hungry as I did to succeed. He had also never really had success with other partners, but he had a lot of talent. Um, And so, uh, and the first thing I noticed with him on ice was his level of power. So most pair guys are strong, right? They're lifting human beings over their head, but power is something different. And he had so much power. I remember we were doing a pair spin and he pulled me off my feet because I wasn't expecting to have him to have that much power and pull me that so hard. And I thought, oh, we could really have something here. 
between the two of us, you know, if, um, if he wanted to skate with me. <laughs> so, um, luckily he did. And, uh, and, you know, we took off from there, but it was pretty immediate that I knew we could have something special, but I knew it wasn't going to be like an immediate thing. You know how Alexa and Brandon, they got together and it was like, oh, they're going to be good. And it's probably going to be, they're going to be good pretty quick. You know, I knew we were going to need to work for it because neither one of us had had that kind of success. Neither one of us have had a lot of experience. Um, and I had not been skating pairs that long. So I needed to relearn things and I had to relearn, you know, Canadian technique, which was different from what I learned in America. So I knew if we could keep this tenacity we could work really hard and we, we had the same kind of um, mental approach um, and mental hunger that our talents could align really well. So, and, and so far that has been the case. So that's been, that's been good. I made the right decision. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you guys are Canadian national champions. You had a killer season, your four continents, bronze medalists. Like it's, I mean, you guys yeah. have made a splash internationally for sure and it is um it's been really impressive to watch you guys but what was the process of like switching country representation like did the u.s release you easily not so easily (laughs) i want to say probably not so easy just because you were a top (laughs) you were a top u.s pair girl for us so yeah yeah well their rules are super clear so like their rules were set into place i think in like 2000 or something and they haven't changed so their rules are very clear and it's if you've placed, you know, like if you've been to the Olympics, it's going to be a certain duration of time. If you've been to world, it's going to be a certain duration of time. If you were top five by four continents, it's a certain duration of time. If you've only ever competed for them internationally, it's a certain duration of time. But everything is super clear. So essentially, there was no like surprises. Like I knew exactly how long it was going to take by their bylaws, which were very clear. Um, and then, you know, I, I was released when I was due to be released, essentially. So it wasn't... Um, uh, you know, it wasn't uh, unfair. They can't make exceptions. Otherwise, they'd make exceptions for everybody. Um, so it was what was in the bylaws. It was just, I think, people felt more inclined to um, want me to have it earlier because of my age. You know, because they were like, oh, my God, well, you're going to make her wait longer. You know, like, I'm already... <laughs> you know what I mean? Which I understand. But for me, I was like, you know what? It's fine. It's going to take Max and I time anyway you know to to get going and to get together and so you know I was I was okay with it the only time it was hard was in COVID but I mean that certainly couldn't have been predicted so um so it wasn't yeah it wasn't too bad and then you know getting citizenship was its own struggle um you know I mean there's paperwork upon paperwork upon paperwork um I've had to prove who my parents are you know multiple times I'm like this hasn't changed so my still my parents um a lot of work. It's certainly not inexpensive to pay for attorney bills um, in another country. Um, you know, but of course, I've always been of the mindset of the best way I can get citizenship in in Canada is to do well for Canada. So, you know, my resume will be my best asset, essentially. So I try to do the best that I can in hopes that my results will um, speed up the process, essentially. You have such a good like outlook on all of it because it's it's very much like what can I offer and like how can I prove it's not like oh this just isn't going to work out for me or like oh it's just going to be too hard and everything's against me you're just like no no everything can be against me but I'm still going to do it. How can I figure out a way to make this work? (laughs) That's what I try to do. It's so good. (laughs) Wow. Well um 
Yeah, switching from U.S. to Canada, I mean, it's like, to me, it's so similar because we're both North America, but I know like, yeah. there's, you know, there's like tension with, I would, I would think our federations just because we are so close. Um, yeah. But it has been, yeah, it's been amazing to just watch you like nail it, especially at Skate America, because you, you and Alexa and Brandon were like just neck and neck. And it was really yeah. fascinating looking around the rink and seeing where the federations were sitting too. And like yeah. what their reactions were to the, to the um, performances, because you guys were both so strong. And so it was just like, it was really funny, but. But I still feel a lot of love from. Oh, America. absolutely. Oh, yeah, so much for support. sure. I still, yeah. I think that, um. I think that they are, they're all happy for me, even though I'm not competing for them anymore. I still feel that they're all, um, you know, very happy for me that I'm able to continue, you know, because that's, I think all that they wanted to, and the way that it was in the States, every, every guy that was, you know, really good was already taken. And I don't blame them for not wanting to leave their partner to try with me or something like that. I mean, they were doing well with their current partner. So why would they leave, you know? So it's just circumstances are what they are. And, um, you know, I think that they, they're, they're understanding and they're, and they're super, uh, they're super happy that at least I get to keep on going and they can still yeah. play me technically because I was born in America. So <laughs> <laughs> hey. no, totally. And it's also, I think for both pairs and I stance, it's, it's very common to, yeah like get to partner up at this level where it is you know like the the pool is very limited to get like yeah. a, a really well matched like great partner to try to compete internationally and it, it is not anything out of the ordinary to um represent different countries so if you get the yeah. opportunity it's just like go after it um because yeah. everyone has the same dream everyone has the olympic dream so yeah absolutely yeah yeah well like have you ever had any pushback or discouragement from people because of your age and uh how do you handle that like I know it can be um mentally taxing on you know anybody yeah. that gets negative comments but how do you like brush it off or like push through um I feel like I already know your answer but I would love to hear you <laughs> just you know just get after it um well I have to say in general as an adult um figure skater and now I am 40 years old my I how do I say this nicely <laughs> I absolutely hate being underestimated to the point that it will light the biggest fire under me to prove you wrong I cannot stand it when I am underestimated um and I'm constantly underestimated I feel um, by, by many people. Oh, well, she'll never get this. Oh, well, she won't be able to do this. Oh, well, she'll this, she'll that. And where to the point where sometimes their standards for me are higher than their standards for everybody else. And it's interesting being this age and, and having, you know, intelligence of this age where you can kind of see this, the pendulum swings both ways. There was a particular event where um, I landed a throw and I was high on my toe, didn't touch down, was just high on the toe a little bit. So there was like some snow as I landed and then continued to glide. And some other skater landed the exact same way on the exact same throw, okay? And the commentator said for the younger girl, that was a beautiful throw. She worked hard to save it and it's got a lot of glide coming out. And for me, they said, she was high on her toe. She needs to work on that. So it's interesting how the pendulum swings that way, right? So harsher 
on me, somebody older than somebody younger doing the exact same mistake, let's say, versus Mm. when the pendulum swings the other way, which is when I do well, I feel I'm almost given more credit than the younger kids because what I'm doing is so abnormal. And because at this age, it does require more time, more effort, more everything. So the pendulum really does swing kind of both ways where I am both congratulated and revered more and also criticized harsher. So it's a very interesting place, um, you know, to be and to, and to realize it (laughs) as it's happening. Um, But I always come back to, you know, when you say, I'm not going to get something as people have said in interviews, well, she won't get that. She won't be able to do this. This will be, this will be it. This will be the highest they get. Oof. That really, um, it just lights a fire underneath me because I want to prove you wrong with every ounce and every fiber of my being. (laughs) I love that. Well, that's the only way to really like do it, you know, because otherwise it just piles up and piles up until you start believing all of that, you know, noise around you. But it's just noise. And it's mostly from people who've never done it themselves. So it's like. People who's never done it themselves (laughs) almost exclusively from people who have never done it themselves. Yeah. (laughs) But um, I will say that um, I talked to some skaters. I won't mention the names, but we were having a discussion about like when you skate badly and your video gets posted on YouTube and we were like, do you or don't you go and look at the comments because they're not going to be good. Okay. Like, obviously you skated bad. The comments are going to be bad. And someone's like, I always go look. And I was like, what? it's like emotional cutting. Like, why would you do that? It's not going to be good. They're not going to be like, she just had a bad day. She'll get it next time. It's going to just be like, anybody who was ready to rip you to shreds is going to rip you to shreds. You know, you gave them a door, you opened it, and they're going to walk through and they're going to tear you apart. You know, so it's, again, I got to keep that in mind too. Not everybody's going to like you. Some people are waiting for you to make a mistake um, just so that they can rip you apart and they're not going to congratulate you when you do well. They're only going to comment when you do bad. So, you know, you kind of got to keep those things, you know, in mind as well. And there's a lot of other professional athletes that have said, similar things, you know, really successful professional athletes in other, in other fields. And I always try to, to read those and to listen to those because, you know, we're not the only ones who are going through it. I mean, skating is so such a small community compared to, you know, football or baseball or basketball or something like that. So I always just try to keep that level head in mind that it happens to everyone, even like a Michael Jordan, who in my opinion is like one of the best athletes of all time even to him, he'd get ripped apart. So, you know, it's, I'm certainly not better than he was. (laughs) So if it happened to him, it's going to happen to me too. (laughs) No, it's such a universal experience. And it's, um, I think it's changed a lot in terms of exposure to us because of the, you know, birth of social media and just everything. Yeah. It's like at our fingertips and in our face at all times, if you want it to be, or like if you allow it to be right. Um, Exactly. yeah, I think like understanding that it's it's anybody that ever comments or gives you any type of like negative feedback is not day in day out with you on the ride, like witnessing all the little things that go into what you're putting out there. And even if you what you put out there is like not what you feel is your best, it 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 doesn't represent the entire journey of like everything you've been doing. And I think like no. that knowing that the magnifying glass is not representative of the, of the whole picture is a really important um, to remember. It's, yeah, it's just, it's cool. I know. 
I yeah. remember watching a video of Aliona and uh, Bruno when they won the Olympics in 2018. And somebody in the comment section said, still looking for those perfect throw landings. And I was like, did you just, they won the Olympics with this program and you're criticizing her throw landings. I'm like, I mean, I'm sure she doesn't care. I'm sure she'll wipe her tears with her Olympic medal. You know what I mean? But like, I was like, man, she's even getting criticized and she won the Olympics with this performance. So there's no chance for any of the rest of us. Totally. Ugh. <laughs> well, what, what do you feel is the biggest difference in terms of skating now versus even skating when you first started your comeback versus mm. the 2000s <laughs> <laughs> um well oh you mean like when I first when I was skating in the 90s versus now or yeah. when I first started skating? oh okay okay um I mean I would say that uh for me like I mentioned earlier the spins have gotten more intricate and harder and more creative so it pushed the sport forward in that regard the footwork the footwork's the only thing I always have a ch- I always have a challenge with because I really liked the footwork of the '90s, um, but I mean it is a lot more technical now and it's a lot more figures oriented now with all of the difficult turns, um, which I do think is important because sometimes you'll have teams or skaters who can land the stuff but they can't skate, so it is somewhat important they got to have the ability to do these difficult turns um, and do them well while you know while portraying a character or doing you know hitting beats in their music. Um, and then, you know, I would say the, the biggest difference, um, that I see is that the sport itself is not marketed nearly as much. You don't see it nearly as much. It's, it's like a chore to try to find an event online to watch it. Then mm-hmm. sometimes the links won't work or they'll freeze or they'll whatever. So it's like, well, it's going to be really hard to gain fans for the sport of figure skating if there's no access to the sport of figure skating. So, totally. um, you know, when the nineties, my gosh, I mean, it was almost like to nausea. There'd be stuff every weekend, every day. I mean, almost like too much because it was like, there'd be just one star skater and it would be a really boring show. And it was almost bad for the sport because we were oversaturated, but now it's gone so far the other direction where there's no marketing, no, no saturation whatsoever. Um, And that's been a big, big difference from, I would say the nineties and the two thousands until now. I mean, people like Nancy Kerrigan and Christy Yamaguchi and um, Brian Boitano, those were like household names in the late nineties. I mean, I don't even know if people would know who Nathan Chen is. Like not everybody will know who Nathan Chen is. And he like broke world records. You know what I mean? So um, with what he did or same with Ilya Malinin, it's like, I don't even know that half people, half of the Americans even know that somebody just did something that people didn't think was possible, you know, with a quad axle. So um, I feel like that's not nearly as good as it was before. Um, You know, I don't know if you ever saw some old videos, but they used to do backstories on skaters, like two or three minutes on each skater. They would have followed you at your home rink, follow you in practice, follow you at home, whatever, and make like a little backstory. And they did it for a bunch of skaters. And then, you know, as the viewer, you chose the person that you wanted to win. And then you were invested to watch the rest of the competition. But now, I mean, it's, you just see us when we go out there and you don't know anything about us. You don't know our struggles. You don't know what we go through to train every day. You don't know any of that, you know? Um, And so I think that that's really sad. You know, there's gotta be some kind of human relation um, to have a, a big fan base in a sport. And that's the one thing I feel like 
we've really lost um, over the past 20 years since I was skating before. And I feel like the ISU is really trying. They're posting all these stories on their Instagram and um, of different skaters doing training and different things. So they're really trying. But it's also got to come down to like, you know, if NBC wants viewers for the Olympics, well, then they have to do the work beforehand. They have to show the skating beforehand. They have to show the figures beforehand um, to get those views. It's not just going to show up when you haven't shown figure skating in four years and just come and watch the Olympics. That's not going to happen. So, um, you know, I think that that's kind of like upsetting in general because our sport's gotten harder. People have gotten better and we've gotten less fans, like less viewers. Um, so that's probably the, one of the biggest differences that I see in, um, in terms of like how skating is presented, I would say from the late nineties to now. Yeah, it's so true. And it's even, I felt like it was still really popular when I went to the Olympics in 2014. Yeah. Um, and I'll even watch nationals from 2015, 2016 and the arena's full and it just yeah. like in the last five years, it completely flipped a switch and it's just, I don't yeah. know what happened. It I is know. crazy. And you can't find videos anywhere. I was looking up um, YouTube videos of just even our past nationals uh, to like pull clips for Brady because I just had Brady on my podcast yeah. as well. And I couldn't find a video of her skating at nationals. From and she was like, yeah, from January. And she's our silver medalist. Like I was just, I was like, how is, so how is bad. it not? Yeah. How is it not on YouTube? It's crazy. So I don't know. Hopefully they figure that out soon. I but... know. I will maybe ABC should just make a YouTube channel or something like that. And you have to subscribe to it or something. I don't know. They'll make money off of the subscribers and then they can just play all these videos. It's, I mean, it's so, it's so upsetting because yeah. it's, it's, it's really unfortunate. It's like the, the programs and the characters and the feelings, they're only getting better, but less people are seeing them, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's, um, it's a real bummer and it's just a hundred percent the marketing um yeah because uh i don't know if you do you know um the ufc the ultimate fighting champions okay of course that sport <laughs> didn't even exist 50 it's a made up sport of many sports in one in a cage it didn't even exist like 15 years ago it is ex and now it's a billion dollar company it was purely from marketing all mm -hmm. they did was market their fighters that's it so what that's what we're missing you know, we're not even a made up sport. We've been around for like hundreds of years, figure skating, you know, so um, I hope that something it's so true. And I've always wondered, too, because like figure skating is the it's the jewel of the Olympics. It's like mm -hmm. one of the marquee sports. It's everybody loves to see like beautiful ice skating. You yeah. Know, competitive level. And when you think of winter, obviously you think of um hockey you think of skiing and then you think of skating on lakes yeah. and and it's so surprising that all of the like most popular brands across the world don't utilize like skating for example as you know something to put into commercials or to like feature different products just because it, it's such a aesthetically beautiful it's like easy... the winter thing to do <laughs> yeah but like nobody uses it and it just I I don't get it I really don't I, don't get it either. I no. know hopefully well since the pendulum was like extreme in the 90s and then yeah. now extreme the other way it'll like level out that's what yeah, we're yeah, hoping exactly. hopefully it'll start to swing back to the other direction yeah. <laughs> oh dear god well my last question for you is what is your advice to skaters of all kinds of all ages based off your story 
what what is the biggest like piece of advice you could give um for inspiration to people okay okay so um i think <laughs> my my biggest piece of um of advice for for anybody or any athlete or anybody who even just wants to like change a career or something like that or do something kind of like a big step in their life is to do it slowly and set one small goal at a time so you can't look at something in a huge picture because it's too overwhelming and there's going to be 9 million steps before you get to that point. So you have to think of step one first. And I always, um, I write down my goals every year. Um, and it, they say that there actually is something like the mind, body, brain connection when you like write things down or whatever. So I always write down my goals. Um, I have meetings. I say them out loud to my, to my coach and to my, my partner. Um, and I think that, um, it's good to keep a good, uh, close knit people around you who believe in you and who have your back and to not ask the opinions of the people that don't because that's not going to help you. Um, I think that um, if you really want something, uh, you should be using, utilizing most of the free time in your day towards this goal that you may have. Um, and I think that it's important to just remember that um, at the end of the day, no matter what it is that you're doing, you know, for me, my example is like when that door shuts behind us, and they're going to announce our names. I know that my coach, you know, Jose wants me to succeed so badly. And I know that Max wants to succeed so badly and I want to succeed so badly. But if I don't believe in myself in that moment, there's nobody else that can help me there. There is no lifeline at the very end when you you know, when you, when you quit your job and when you do this, or when you close the door and they're announcing your name, there's no more lifelines. That's, that's it. You only have yourself to rely on and you've got to be positive and you've got to believe in yourself. And you've got to know that all the work that you've done to build up to this point um, is there to support you in whatever it is that you're doing. I love that. Wow. <laughs> Well, you know, if I ever need someone to light a fire <laughs> under me, I know exactly who to call because so she, she's already, back, I'm getting fired up. I'm like, oh my God, this is so good. <laughs> so when you come back, you just let me know and I'll send you motivate. <laughs> Listen, you're not the only skater I send motivational stuff to in the morning sometimes. So I, I send it to all the I skaters. I love <laughs> this. Oh my God. I'm into it. I love, I love all the, the motivation, the positivity quotes. I love all of it. <laughs> Feed into it. It's great. I love it. You got to have it. It really does help. I got to say. It does, honestly. And you, it's just that two coin, like two sides of the same coin outlook where you can either look at something and be like, that's lame or like, that's stupid. Yeah. Or you can look at it and, and get inspired by like connecting the words into like some memory that you have or like some, you know, story that you want to bring to life. So it, it really is just the way that you look at things, which I think yeah. is the mantra of your story, honestly. Yeah. I love your story. <laughs> And the story continues. I love it. And the story continues. Yes, we're not done. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. This has been oh, an amazing conversation. I know people will love this podcast. So oh, thank, you. thank you so much. <laughs> thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you.
thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.